Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, a sports writer for the Journal, in our downtown studios in Providence. It's a Monday morning here uh, at the Journal, and uh, it's an exciting time. We have an NCAA tournament bracket. came out Sunday night. March Madness is back for the first time since 2019. Uh, It's been a long wait. It's been a difficult year, um, but it's going to be wonderful. I'll, I'll never be this excited to watch my brackets go up in flames it's going to be great uh and we're breaking some new ground here on the podcast in celebration i've got both of my co-conspirators here in studio with me this morning uh first from abc6 the sports director there and the weekend co-host of Cordish and Coit on wei nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen coity what's up hello bill good morning and from wpri 12 and fox providence maury hirsch gordon folks gentlemen great to see you in person you Love too man we can make this happen yeah absolutely this is outstanding i i appreciate both you guys for uh for making some changes to your busy schedules um <laughs> you know i understand that it, it's difficult being on tv and one of the beautiful people um hey don't, don't hey don't underestimate the work you're doing my man <laughs> holy cow coming in here with an ink stained wretch like myself <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult um but it is the best time of the year if you are a college basketball fan. And as I said, you know, one that has been long awaited with COVID-19, with the tournament being canceled last year, unprecedented in our lifetimes. Um, you know, I know I, I stayed up last night until, who knows, 4, 4.30 this morning. You know, oh, just, no. just, you know, look, wow. <laughs> looking, looking over my brackets, looking over the matchups. Oh, you are going to be so much more prepared than we are. <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to search out those upsets. Uh, we did a podcast two weeks ago, and I think I had to make it 8 a.m., and I was like, Bill, get to bed before 2. I yeah. know you like to stay up. You catch the West Coast games, then maybe a rerun of the Sox or something like that. But Holy cow. Woo, 4 a.m. Yeah, you, wow. <laughs> that, that does not mean that any of my picks are going to be correct uh you know and, and we should start with the disclaimer since we do now have legalized sports gambling here in rhode island do not use any of our picks for your personal financial futures please <laughs> do not come to us if you bet away the mortgage or uh you know you can't make the car payments or um you know your kid's college fund goes down the drain we're not taking any responsibility for that the better thing the better disclaimer is don't blame us okay <laughs> that's right that's it just don't blame us right. that's that's it you can take our picks sure you want to take our advice no but yeah the college fund goes down the tubes see ya I- i'm not i'm not taking the blame nope yeah. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, we're going to start with some housekeeping. Uh, a couple local items here. First, we'll go to Providence. Uh, there was an announcement over the weekend, a high-profile transfer out of Providence. Uh, Greg Gant, sophomore forward, uh, former top 75 recruit, four-star recruit from North Carolina, is leaving the Friars after two seasons. Uh, played in 53 career games. He made seven starts. As a sophomore, um, you know, this is a situation where he had Big East offers, Power 5 offers. Uh, Providence invested a a lot of time and effort in recruiting him here. And for whatever reason, the relationship just didn't work out. Um, You know, there were times where he looked like a really good player, somebody who could help them going forward. Uh, there were other times where he looked a bit lost and, and maybe you know, not as integrated into what Providence is trying to do um, you know, as they might have liked. Uh, you know, so certainly uh, the start of what we all thought, I'm sure, was going to be a busy offseason uh, in Providence. Um, you know, maybe something that, that we could have seen coming. Uh, but still, considering 
who Greg Gant was when he was recruited and, and what was expected. Some jarring news for the Friars. This is a guy that, when I, when I think about Bill, uh, PC not having the offseason, um, you know, something that I've been pointing out is just that I, I felt like defense could have been, you know, I think improved with a lot of different guys, and, and Ed would have had more time to integrate guys defensively and have them be where they needed to be and whatnot. And I think one of the guys that may have maybe stunted his growth in that in that regard would have been Gant because I think a full off season with him he takes on a bigger role you know he was he was out there starting at points in the season so obviously they had him in mind as an important guy um but it just didn't work out this year tough road too for him uh his freshman year loses his mom during his freshman year yeah um just I, I can't imagine what the kid went through so one of those scenarios where I, I think maybe a fresh start would be would be good for a young man like Greg, who seems to be a great great kid, and uh, obviously already has a lot of interest out there in the transfer market. So that that speaks to how well regarded he is. And so uh, you know you you wish him the best and hope he can find some some footing somewhere else. Yeah, how much is home calling him? Right, he's a he's a kid from the South, North sure. Carolina, South North Carolina, Carolina, I believe. Yep. Uh, so, you know, there's a bunch of good programs down there that he could find a fit to. Former top 75 guy and, and had a lot of potential. I think we can agree on that. Um, I just don't think offensively he came around enough. You know, you look at a guy like Noah Horkler, uh, really came on strong late in the season. Jimmy Nichols, before his injury, showed flashes. You know, it was consistent from the floor, could hit a couple threes and, and could sort of be that stretch four. Uh, and I think Gant kind of got behind them you know so he was kind of third in line for the for the uh, a bigger three or smaller four but um yeah hopefully this kid can uh can find a little bit uh find some traction find a program to go down to make an impact uh i just think offensively i, I just don't think the ceiling was high enough i think defensively was good active hands can get out and transition and run um, just you saw the offensive struggles and the long stretches that they had where, where they couldn't score, they couldn't put stuff together. And when you have a guy like that on the floor who, who can't go get you a bucket, I think it's hard to get yourself out of it. Yeah, I think there was, uh, you know, Coit and I obviously had the discussion last week, the postmortem about uh, Providence. And, you know, I think someone like Gant, his physical tools, I, I think they might be better served in a, a little faster pace, a little more open system. Um, you know, maybe not as much, you know, sort of half-court grinded out flex offense that the Providence is running. Uh, you look at his offers coming out of out of prep at Trinity uh, Christian, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State, Florida, Louisville, Clemson, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, Alabama. I, I mean, just no shortage of, of power fives. Uh, Connecticut and Xavier were also on his list. So this is a talented guy who somebody saw a lot in at some point. Uh, the coaching community was pretty unanimous on the fact that he was going to be a special player. Um, you know, we wish him the best moving forward, obviously, and, sure. and wonder, you know, if he will step closer to his home. Uh, I know he's already heard from North Carolina State, uh, you know, host of schools within North Carolina. Um, I know he's heard from Arkansas as well. Uh, you know, obviously a, a little bit closer to home and, and would be a place in the SEC. So interested to see where he lands. Uh, interested to see what the Friars do going forward uh, in what is going to be a transition off season uh, for them. Other big transfer news in the Atlantic 10 this time. Uh, this came out Monday morning. Trey Mitchell is leaving UMass. Uh, sophomore forward. First team all Atlantic 10 uh, after his sophomore season. He was a top 100 recruit uh, when he pledged to the Minutemen. There's going to be a long line for him, obviously, as, as you would expect. A skilled big guy. Average almost 
almost 19 points a game, more than five rebounds a game. Um, you know, I, I know we had the discussion when Jameson Battle decided he was going to leave George Washington. He was one of three players who is going to leave the Colonials this offseason and counting. Um, if you're UMass, it's really difficult to see UMass contending at the top of the A-10 if you can't retain talent like that. I know he was a little bit of a package deal uh, with assistant coach Tony Bergeron. He was his prep school coach at Woodstock Academy. Um, I know that was part of the reason why UMass was able to land Trey Mitchell. Um, you know, But certainly, if you're UMass, this essentially says we're not in the class of Dayton, VCU, St. Louis. We are not going to be an annual contender like those schools if we're going to lose talent like this. Absolutely. Um, and <laughs> this is a major one. I mean, this is this is the guy that when you think of UMass and what their future could be here, and when you thought of, okay, the potential that they had with Matt McCall, Trey Mitchell's first name that was on the list. So the fact that he's leaving the program, you, you, you wonder what the domino effect may be. You know, is it just Trey Mitchell, or are there other guys that are going to look at it and say, well, if Trey's not going to be here, then, you know, that's just, it's a huge domino to fall for the Minutemen. Um, yeah, and this is a talented kid, too. This is a kid that you know, during his freshman season, I think everybody that follows the A10 looked at and said, oh, okay, well, <laughs> there's some serious talent here. And so he's another guy that's that's going to hear from a lot of different places. I, I'm interested to see where he goes. But for UMass, you're right, Bill. It uh, it, it certainly puts them a few steps uh, back or back to the drawing board, if you will. Yeah, this is a kid that can go to a Power 5 school and make an immediate impact. It felt like at times, averaging 20 points a game, he was doing it in his sleep, right? And it was a quiet 20 he could hit the occasional three, and he'd pull down six, seven, eight rebounds, you know, just because he was in the paint. So big, so much more athletic. So I think if he really um, goes to a Power 5 school and, uh, you know, reaches the potential that he can reach, um, you know, maybe slims down a little bit, puts on some more muscle, rounds out his game, plays better competition. This is a kid you could see, you know, a second-round pick in the NBA in a couple of years. Yep. Yeah, certainly in that, you know, maybe stretch three skilled mold, you know, where maybe he can handle the ball a little bit, expand his range and his jump shot. Um, you know, definitely has a, a pro body at this point. Um, you know, but it, it's it's indicative of, of how things are going to shake out in a mid-major conference like the A-10, uh, where you're going to have some programs, if they're able to retain their players, who are going to stay at or near the top of the league, uh, and the rest are going to fall away. Um, you know, folks look at the one-time transfer, and I, I had someone ask me the other day, they said, so what does that mean? Are we going to have to recruit? you know our players every single year and and I thought about it for a few days and thought about it again this morning and my response to that at this point is essentially when you're in a relationship with a significant other aren't you recruiting them every day from a standpoint of you know aren't you trying to be the best that you can be um you know in terms of the way you treat them the way you respect them the way you think about them the way you care for them the way you show them that you actually care um you know, and, and I don't think it's any different with, with coaches and players. Can you show them a path towards the NCAA tournament, towards success, towards their pro futures? Um, you know, if that's not the case, then I would understand if someone like Trey Mitchell would look at your program and say, I can do better than this. I'm going to advance myself better in some other place. Commitment is what it is. It is a two-way street. If you're going to reach somebody who can give you a little more, you're only as faithful as your options. You, you know what that reference was? 
That was a Mark Dondero right there. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. He like he likes to bring in the real-life scenarios oh, to certain real? oh, things. Wow. You know when you're with your, your significant other, uh, okay? Wow. And you're with this you're with this person, and they, you know things are good, and, you know, yeah, that, that's what that just reminded me of. People can't see us, but you got to get the hands Yeah, right, exactly. Too. The move and yeah, everything, yeah, all the yeah. energy. And <laughs> well, Dondero's wife, Jen, is is lovely, so mm-hmm. I would imagine that Mark is, is a practitioner of... Uh, Great recruiting. You know, this sort of everyday recruiting. Yeah, uh, great recruiting. He, he's done well, um, you know. So, so good for him. Um, you know, so interested to see where where Trey Mitchell will land uh, in what is sure to be a busy transfer off season in college basketball. All right, gents. Now to the main event. Let's do it. Uh, the NCAA tournament uh, starting Thursday, five ten p.m. Mount St. Mary's and Texas Southern will get us going at the first four will be played at Assembly Hall on the campus of Indiana University, which is just so cool. Um, you know, this can't be a traditional NCAA tournament, obviously. They're, they're going to try and bubble these teams as best they can. Um, you know, But to have this staged in Indianapolis, to use Assembly Hall and Hinkle Fieldhouse and you know, some of the places that we're going to see on TV over the next few weeks is, is just so cool. Um, locate True TV. On your cable shuffles right, <laughs> right. now. Uh, that first game will be on True TV. Uh, TBS will forca- will uh, broadcast the others. Are either of you guys YouTube TV guys? Maury? Yeah. Big YouTube TV is, guy, is, yeah. you tre- is True TV on it? I haven't, uh, se- I haven't looked that's yet. That's a great question. I don't know. Oh, I can't boy. say I watch True TV outside of March Madness. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, we're going to um, have to This is, this to is a that. public service, folks. Yes. Find <laughs> True TV, whether yep. you have YouTube TV, Verizon, Cox. Yep. Locate it before Thursday. We've given you three-day lead time. <laughs> it's um, important. We'll be Mount St. Mary's and Texas Southern kicking us off. Uh, two games of local interest, which folks uh, should be uh, looking at on Friday. Uh, Colgate and Arkansas, 1245 on True TV. Again, locate True TV, folks. Uh, Villanova and Winthrop. 957 on TNT. That's actually the final game of Friday. Uh, Colgate, Arkansas will feature Keegan Records, the former South Kingstown and St. Andrews star. Uh, the Raiders storm their way to the Patriot League title uh, in impressive fashion. Um, could find themselves a, a somewhat trendy 14-3 upset pick over Arkansas. I, I know some people will want to make that leap. Uh, and then Villanova and Winthrop obviously featuring Cole Swider, the, the Portsmouth native, uh, you know, also a, a St. Andrews alum. Uh, Villanova playing against the Eagles uh, after learning after earning their latest at-large berth. Uh, that is a 5-12 game and, and another game where I think a lot of folks will be looking for an upset. Uh, you know, Cole Swider obviously is, is in the midst of a great career. Uh, with Villanova, a very successful career uh, with the Wildcats. So, you know, those are our two links to March Madness. None of our men's teams were fortunate enough to to hear their names called, but it's still nice to have a little bit of a rooting interest, isn't it, guys? It is. I'll give you a few more, too. Um, Obviously, Dan Hurley, UConn. We'll get to that when we break down the East Sure, that's another connection. Uh, And I'm interested. I I know it's a 2 versus 15, so we'll see. It's a long shot, but Guys, having Rick Pitino back in in the bracket is yeah. that is 
It's interesting. It's big time. It's huge. It's he had a line last night, something along the lines of Billy Donovan's not walking through that door, which was a nice little reference to his Celtics days. And oh. um, <laughs> let's, let's let's not remember those. <laughs> and I, I there was another one this morning too. Uh, uh, Deb Weinrich, who we all know, is a, a PR guru and sure, yeah. uh, somebody we uh, work with, and she does a great job. Um, she pointed out Clemson has an assistant coach on their staff. Antonio Reynolds-Dean. Antonio Reynolds-Dean. So a yes. few other little connections there if you're interested. Yeah, they'll be out there as we as we find over the next few weeks. Uh, just some general notes for your brackets. And, and we're not saying that you should pick games this way, but uh, just some, some trends over the last few years. Uh, in nine of the last ten Final Fours, there's been a team seeded five or lower. Uh, there has been one double-digit seed that has reached the Sweet 16 every year since 2008. Wow. Uh, your 6-11 games since 2013, 14 and 14, split between the 6 and the 11. Uh, your five seeds swept in 2015 and 2018. Uh, but three 12 seeds won in 2019, the last time that happened. The 5-12 is generally a very popular upset. 7-10 uh, games. The 7s are 99 and 65 in the last 164, I yep. think. Yep. Wow. There you Look go. Let me do math on the phone. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so just some statistical th- trends to, to think about uh, as you go into this. Uh, and, and the last major one for me, and this has to do with who you're going to pick for your national champion. Uh, since Ken Palm came online, that was for the 2001-02 season. The worst Ken Palm defense to win the title finished 18th. That was North Carolina in 2008-09. North Carolina had the number one offense that year. They also had five future pros. Tyler Hansborough, Wayne Ellington, Ty Lawson, Danny Green, Ed Davis. So if you're going to err on one side or the other, generally in your brackets, you should err on the defensive side because that's going to travel through five or six games and, sure. and ultimately get you paid. Um, you know, guys, I, I just I would start off before we go into region by region with just general thoughts as the brackets popped up. Uh, you know, any anything jump off the screen at you in terms of teams that were left out, teams that were overseeded, uh, you know, higher seeds that might have gotten a brutal draw in their respective regions. Um, you know, anything like that, that. Did you have any visceral reactions last night when the brackets came on your screen? I had a couple. I think the chair of the committee is a Ken- the Kentucky AD. Mitch Barnhart, yeah. And leaving off Louisville, I think, was was uh, not a coincidence. Wow. That they were the first team out. Maybe Big controversy of, um, in Kentucky this morning. In spite of Wichita <laughs> no, State, in spite of Drake. I mean, I'm a... I, grew up in Philadelphia. My dad grew up in Syracuse. I lean power five schools um, over the mid-majors, so uh, I think that was that was interesting. Another one I saw, I mean, Georgia Tech at, at a nine. You get to the ACC championship game, you finish top four in the league. I know the league wasn't as, as top-heavy as it's been in years past. I thought that was one that was a little bit under-seeded, um, in my opinion. Two other things, though, for me when I look at it, I know back to kind of Bill's, Bill's stats and everything about who you should take and, and um, you know, different records for, for different seeds. For me, I have two things. One is one bracket. Enter as many pools as you want. But the sheet of integrity, the bracket of integrity, you, you do well one year or you don't do well 
and then you forget about it, you move on to the next year. I'm Don't with you on that. Don't come at me with, I submitted 15 brackets. I'm with you on that. And my 14th one labeled Mari Hirsch Gordon, you know, 14, that one really popped because <laughs> I had the 12 seed that went to the Elite Eight. Pick one bracket, rely on, you know, a couple upsets, and then and, and hopefully those picks you know come about and, and you win an office pool or two but if you and if you don't have a good year then chalk it up to that uh my one other big thing is when you're making your picks we all want to get like the 12 5 right we want to get the 14 over the three correct in my opinion if you can get the most final four teams right you, that's how you're going to win because right. those are the teams that are going to collect you the amount of points the whole way through so if you can get three or even four teams in your final four you're going to be collecting a lot of money come come the first week in April. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I tend, it's funny, I tend to be the guy that looks at the the upsets early and say, ooh, that's a good one, or that's good, or that's good. And then I look, oh, man, maybe I shouldn't have put you know this team and that team in the Final Four and the Elite Eight or whatnot. I, I, I tend to pick upsets early, and then my bracket kind of you know tailors down. Um I would say, too, with brackets, uh, my general thoughts from, you know, year in, year out, um, and this is tough to say because Bill was up till 4 a.m., but it's okay. I think the less you know, the better. No, I agree. I think the no less doubt. you know. When you know too much, you start putting all four number one seeds in the final four because the three of us have watched a lot of college basketball this yep. year. We know what these teams are. We know that logic says, well, Baylor and Gonzaga and all these great teams should be there, should be there. But this is why every year my mother will fill out a bracket and say, well, I'm going to pick uh, I'm going to pick Oregon because uh, I like ducks. You know, and it's like, <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. Love you, mom. But that's what happens. She, she'll, she'll pick something because she doesn't want any college basketball at all this year. No. And her bracket usually looks better than mine. Why? We know too much. So yeah. don't overstudy is what I'm saying. I know I'm saying that to the guy that was up till 4 a.m. But don't overstudy because when you do – but I like to see Bill has good study habits there with the trends and whatnot. That's, that's good. When you, ta- when you start breaking down matchups and everything, you, you know, matchups tell you what it should be on paper. But, you know, you don't know if you see Santa Barbara's going to make it to the Elite Eight. Like that's – you know – it could happen. It could happen, and we'll just watch it, and we'll say, how the heck did that happen? But it does. That's the beauty of March. Now, so this, that's my piece of advice. Th- this is why I started the podcast with the disclaimer, please do not uh, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> please do not put your financial futures behind us. Right. Uh, because we can try to give you a guide. We can try to give you food for thought. Uh, but that does not mean that the three of us will be uh, winners in our respective pools. Sure. Um, you know, it's just a – it's an educated guess. There's a reason why it's, you know, what is it, like one in five billion? that you can pick a perfect bracket it's it's some insane it's it'll never silly, happen you know, number no. it's i I, th- I agree with you I, I think it's just about impossible yeah i didn't think a 16 would ever be the one okay it happened oh were once. we quite we were in pittsburgh for that weren't we that was a beautiful night umbc in virginia beautiful night we it were was. there in pittsburgh at that country bar yes near heinz field oh, yes nice. you guys could watch it oh it was great Sweet. so we we had done i think did Rody play that day uh, i think they won that day they either won that day or that was the day off. It was that okay. might have been the day off in between the well, day after it, they beat Oklahoma. A, but the UMBC game was a late game. It was uh, a late game. Yeah. It, was, it was like an eight eight thirty ish type tip. I, I want to say they beat Oklahoma that day and then we went out. 
Okay. I, I think that's what happened. Rody had the first game. Yeah. They tipped it 12-15. It was, yep, okay. So uh, I think that was, makes sense. It was the lead game, I think, maybe on CBS. But we uh, were there with all of the, the Rody fans and the Rody faithful, and yeah. we're all having a nice night. And, and it was just so funny that everything just sort of stopped. When everybody looked up at the TV, looked at the time on the clock ticking away, and we said, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. And everybody realized what Virginia is in their style and what UMBC was doing. And then the whole bar, just everybody clapped. It was a round of applause when it, when it got pulled off. It, it was, was awesome. It was right about the under-12 timeout. UMBC hit a couple threes, and they pushed it out into double digits. And I, I remember saying to you or to somebody else, I said, hey, Virginia's pace being what it is, I think they were 353 in the country, which was last. Yeah. Virginia doesn't know how to go quick to fast break, you know, just open it up and shoot a bunch of threes. If, if, this, if this gets out any further, they could be done just on, based on who they are yeah. and, and style of play. Uh, and sure enough, UMBC with a shocker for the ages. Now, Virginia with the ultimate rebound the next year, winning the national championship. Um, you know, full credit to, to Tony Bennett for being able to, you know, rise from the ashes like that. But it, it was an incredible night. That was great. Uh, you know, we would say do not pick any 16s, please, in, in your bracket. <laughs> if, if, if that happens, I mean, come on. Yes, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a once in a lifetime thing, literally. Yeah. And also root for those upsets, too, right? Yeah. Like, if, even if you have a two seed going to the Final Four, but the two seeds on the ropes in the first round, root for that 15 seed. I'd rather see an upset in March in a Cinderella story than be right about my bracket. Yeah. Like that, at the end of the day, throw your bracket out and, and, you know, watch a Florida Gulf Coast make a run or watch a, whoever, a Lehigh pick off, you know, a top team like Duke we saw, you know, more than 10 years ago now, which is crazy. So. Um, yeah, I mean, root for upsets. Root for upsets. Yep. Um, wow, some breaking news in the podcast I'm seeing across Twitter. Archie Miller has been fired at Indiana. Wow. That is a big-time job opening. Uh, Indiana obviously is not in the field. Uh, Archie Miller, the former Dayton coach, uh, has an Elite Eight on his resume. He was an upset guy uh, in that given year. So, uh, How ooh. many years was he there? Uh, four or five. Yeah, it wasn't too long 10 million dollar buyout i think but when you're indiana when you're indiana and you don't make the ncaa's for four or five years yeah considering who you are the league you're in what you spend you can make a decision to fire the coach that way and you're watching illinois get a one seed and yeah with brad underwood just Mm -hmm. lapping the field yep uh not good yep not good wow so archie miller out uh, he will be a hot candidate stepping down, I would imagine, into a mid-major. Absolutely. Um, you know, some sort of fringy, uh, you know, job like he had at Dayton, which which can perform like a power program, um, you know, because he certainly got it done with the Flyers. That's that's big news. Um, <clears throat> the fact that he is not in this field, Indiana is not in this field. When I think nine Big Ten teams made it, I think they were the uh, the winner on Selection Sunday. Um, you know, it it's, speaks to reason why he is out. Uh, we will start with the number one overall seed in the West region. Uh, that's Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga looking to go undefeated. They'd be the first team since Indiana in 1976 to finish that off. There's only been one team since then who has made it to the title game 
undefeated. That was Indiana State in 1979. They had a guy you might have heard of named Larry Bird. <laughs> um, you know, Gonzaga guys, I, I will say, I have them as my national champion. I know a lot of people are going to have that as well. Uh, I just think that this is the time. I think this is the team. Uh, you know, I look at their individual talent, their overall skill level, um, you know, their statistical profile. I, I just think they're outstanding. Uh, they've played some really good teams this year. They've tested themselves uh, and won a lot of those games impressively. Um, you know, and I, I think it was really good that they got pushed by BYU in the West Coast Conference Final. I, I think that was really important. Uh, Mark Few said afterwards that that was a game that we really needed. Um, you know, so that is my national champ. Uh, don't know if you guys agree. We, we did not confer before we did this, but um, I just think Gonzaga is going to be a, a really hard out, and I have them winning the whole thing. Ultimately, uh, of all the bracket, bracketing I did, I did a rough draft, and I wanted to go through it again today uh, and see where I landed here. But ultimately, I landed, I know, and my national champion was Gonzaga. I did. It's, it's uh, Yeah, it's, it's tough to – I really like some of the upper-tier teams. I, I told Bill over the weekend, I thoroughly enjoyed watching Illinois. I, I think they are a really great squad. Uh, I had them, and I'll probably have them again here in my national championship game. Um, I, I just I like Io, you know. I, I like Coburn. Yep. I, 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 they're just yep. there's and the the supporting cast is what impressed me in that that Big Ten final with Ohio State because it, it just they, yeah, they they. They, they were able to grind out a big win like that in, in the toughest conference this year, it turns out, in the country. So, um, yeah, there's some good t- – I like that Ohio State team, and I love the way that they responded. Washington was a heck of a player in that game. Um, I like Alabama. I think they've come a long way. Uh, you can't count out Iowa and Luca Garza. Like, I'm going through all these teams. But ultimately, Gonzaga's stacked. They've got a squad. Yeah. They've got, what, 23 double-digit wins of their 26? Something silly like that. It is. And the fact that they did get pushed, you're right, Bill, uh, by BYU, you can tell that Mark Few really respects that squad. Um, so ultimately, it just I landed on Gonzaga because I just think, I think this is the time. The one thing that's missing for Mark Few in that program is a national title. Yeah, I think when you look at it, when Gonzaga's at their best, they're head and shoulders above everybody else, even Michigan at their best, Illinois at their best. And I think that's super rare. We haven't gone into an NCAA tournament with this much of a favorite, I, I, at least in my lifetime. Um, and, and, you know, this team has been just super impressive. You can't even have the argument of, oh, they play in the West Coast Conference this year because they've ripped the top competition that they've seen uh, outside of their conference. So I have Gonzaga as my national champion uh, pretty easily as well. So what we've just done, folks, is we've guaranteed that Gonzaga will not win the national title <laughs> uh, because the three, of the, the three of us all picked them. Uh, you know, to Maury's point, Gonzaga started the year beating Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, and Iowa on a neutral floor. Um, you know, just coming right out of the blocks and, and you're beating four top 65 teams. Uh, you know, beating BYU three times. Uh, BYU is a top 25 team. They also beat Virginia uh, by 23. Um, you know, so, so you're, you're, you're just talking about a team that's an absolute wagon. Jalen Suggs will be a top five pick, and he's not even the best player on his team. That, that's probably Drew Timmy this year. Corey Kispert, another star there. Joel Ayai, uh, another guy who can sort of do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, so Gonzaga, my clear favorite. Um, we'll dig into the West region a little bit. Uh, Oklahoma and Missouri. 
two teams who've struggled coming in. Oklahoma's lost five of six. Before that, they had won eight of nine, beating Kansas, Texas, Alabama, West Virginia. Uh, you know, really good run there. Uh, Missouri's only three and six in their last nine, but one of the oldest teams in the field. Uh, they're 11th in terms of experience. Um, flip a coin with the 8-9 game. Uh, pretty certain... I didn't really have a great feeling about this one either way. Uh, I ended up going with Missouri, but I have no idea. Boomer Sooner. Same here. Oklahoma. <laughs> okay. I don't mind being on an island. No, that's, that's okay. Good. It's, it's a, like you said, it's a coin flip. Coin uh, flip. Next game, 5-12. UC Santa Barbara against Creighton. Uh, Creighton, a, a team that the three of us know well, obviously, watching in the Big East. Um, you know, team that made it to the Big East final and just capitulated against Georgetown. Really a, a, a stunning uh, whipping that they took in in that one, um, you know. But UC Santa Barbara for me, uh, they're champions of the Big West. They haven't played a top 100 Ken Palm team all year, so for me, a big step up in class for for those guys. Uh, you know, and I think about Creighton, and, and I think that Creighton is the type of team that if you haven't played them, if you're not familiar with how to defend them, if you don't run them off the three point line. Uh, they can score on you. And, uh, you know, I, I think Creighton survives here. I do think they will get pushed. Um, I, I don't necessarily think they were playing great basketball at the end of the year, but I think that that limiting of exposure to top quality competition hurts UC Santa Barbara in this game. I've gone back and forth on this one because I look at it, and you're right. After watching the Big East Championship game and knowing how sort of hot and cold Creighton can be when they're really good. You know, when they put it together, they are a really good squad. But when they don't, it gets ugly. Um, and, and UC Santa Barbara with McLaughlin, they, they have a good player that if he has a great day, you know, can they pull off the upset? Absolutely. And if Creighton has one of those off days, can that happen? Absolutely. But I, I think ultimately I landed on, I think the good Creighton shows up, and I, I, I do think they, they win this game in advance. Yeah, an older team. I believe in Doug McDermott. I think he's a phenomenal coach. Uh, they've got some great pieces. Uh, Mahoney and Jefferson, I think, are so interchangeable at a lot of different spots. They can play a lot of different spots offensively, guard defensively. So I think it's Creighton. It's crazy to say. I mean, we'll go through the other fives and twelves as we go through the regions. Sometimes picking a five feels like picking the upset because so many people pick twelves, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's where you can target an upset." Um, and especially with how Creighton's coming off of the Big East Championship game, but I think I got to go Creighton. Here. Yeah. You know, and in fact, sometimes if if you look in the Vegas books, the five will be the betting dog. Uh, you know, slim, slim, one or two points, but um, you know that it, it just goes to show that. Uh, you know, there is very little separation when, when you get that far down into the seed lines. Uh, you know, next game, Virginia against Ohio. Uh, and here is where we need to go back to the storyline uh, that has really covered college basketball the last two seasons, and that is COVID-19. Uh, Virginia is not traveling to the NCAA tournament until Friday. They will not practice uh, until Thursday. Their players are in quarantine after a positive test that forced them to pull out of the ACC tournament. Um, you know, I'm really interested to see if they have any sort of legs against Ohio because the Bobcats are pretty good. Uh, they've won nine out of the last ten. Four of those are top 100 wins, according to Ken Palm. 
It's a top 30 offense. They're 11th in two-point shooting. They assist on 60% of their field goals. And they have a guard named Jason Preston, who could be a breakout star in this tournament if Ohio makes some kind of run. He's 10th nationally in assist percentage. This is his second straight year in the top 10, and he shoots 40% from three. Uh, the type of lead guard at 6'4", who can be a problem for opposing teams. Uh, I actually have Ohio springing the upset here. I, I don't like the fact that Virginia is essentially going to be inactive. I, I think all three of us saw what happened to Bryant when they played Mount St. Mary's in the Northeast Conference Championship game, specifically what happened to Michael Green III and Chris Childs. It is very difficult to take a week off at this level, come out and play with any sort of sharpness. And, and Virginia being who they are, deliberate, execution-based, I think it's really going to be difficult for them to get their legs here, and I think Ohio has a chance to spring an upset here. They have a chance, absolutely, for all the points you just made. Um, this is one of those where I'm going to be staring at my bracket, I'm going to be trying to listen to the updates, and until I have to lock that thing in, and I know who's playing for Virginia and who's not, uh, that's one of those where I look at it and I say, I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I think for now, I, I will go on Bill's side and say Ohio, but I reserve the right to change that until... It is locked in. Noon on Friday. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. So, I'm actually going to take UVA, but I, I think it's going to be a, a great game. I think the COVID pause definitely plays a role for the Cavaliers. However, the reason why I pick Virginia is only because I think um, I, I rely on Tony Bennett. I rely on good guards in the tournament. So, Kia Clark is phenomenal, in my opinion. And then I actually have Creighton to my Sweet 16 because I think they'll have a better chance against Ohio in the second game. So as much as I might like an upset in Ohio, I still think the better chance down the line is that Ohio ends up losing. So I'm just going to go with the favorite there. But the, it, it's easy to go with Ohio. I mean, Jason Preston, phenomenal. He could be yep. drafted drafted come the spring. Yep, that's sort of long-range uh, long planning that sometimes you do have to do uh, in your bracket. I actually have Ohio in my Sweet 16. But, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? That's that's a calculated roll. I'm guys. with Maury. I, I'm going Creighton in the Sweet 16, too. And fair enough. It, yeah. It's certainly a case to be made for the Blue Jays to bounce back. Uh, the next game, uh, USC against the winner of Wichita State and Drake. Uh, I was thrilled to see Drake make the field. Uh, they, they had a great regular season. Um, you know, battled some injuries down the stretch. Their point guard, Roman Penn, has a left foot injury. Uh, scoring wing named Tank Hemphill has a broken foot as well. Uh, he's a grad transfer from Green Bay. And, and so Drake you know, quite literally limped into their conference tournament um, you know, after having a really good regular season. Uh, you know, couldn't overcome Loyola Chicago and, and ended up firmly on the bubble. Uh, they'll play Wichita State, which is a great story. Uh, won the American Conference uh, in the regular season. Isaac Brown took over an absolute disaster left by Greg Marshall, uh, who was forced into resignation. Um, you know, there were allegations of him verbally and, and physically abusing his players. And all Isaac Brown did was rally a team that had transfers all over the place last offseason uh, and win the American Conference outright earning the number one seed there, um, you know, earning himself the permanent job, removing the interim tag. He, he's a great story. Um, another redemption story on that roster, Altariq Gilbert, who was at UConn. That's right. Uh, you know, lots of injuries there. He battled shoulder problems throughout his career, but this is a really talented guy when he was recruited. Uh, played really well for the Shockers this year. Uh, I'm intrigued to see 
either team matchup with USC. I think USC has major upside uh, with Andy Enfield, who we all remember from that run with Florida Gulf Coast. Um, you know, and obviously he's got some serious talent at USC. Evan Mobley is a one and done lottery pick. Uh, this is a top 30 team in offense and in defense. Uh, I actually have USC going to my Elite Eight. Um, I think that they could be a major problem athletically, um, you know, just with some of the physical measurables that they have with Enfield's experience. Um, you know, that's a little bit of a dice roll, obviously, um, you know, because they are a little bit young in certain spots and, and their guards are not the best in the field. Um, you know, but I'm certainly intrigued to see how USC can match up with, uh, you know, a couple mid-majors there. I'm with you. I, I like USC. Um, I, I like it for the reasons you just pointed out. Enfield, Mobley. Um, and <laughs> maybe this is spite from the past, but, you know, that next matchup, the 314, Kansas-Eastern Washington. I take Kansas in that first game, but... Kansas has burned me so many times in my brackets that Bill Self, I ain't falling for it anymore. <laughs> I'm not doing it. So maybe that's, again, that's just a personal beef, but I ain't putting them in my Sweet 16. I'm putting USC through, but though, as you mentioned, I think USC has got some talent there and experience. Um, but Kansas, I've just, I warn you, don't, don't get them, don't get them on a run. Because they burned me, they busted so many of my brackets in the past, Maury, that I just I ain't doing it. I'm with you. I have USC to the Sweet 16. I think when in doubt, you see the best player on the floor, a top 5, top 10 NBA pick in Mobley. Uh, and I think USC, for all the garbage that the Pac-12 gets in football and in basketball, um, I have a co- some Pac-12 noise the bottom half of this West bracket. I like it. Uh, you, you mentioned the three fourteen game a little bit there. Kansas against Eastern Washington. Uh, Kansas is another team in the field that has COVID issues. Uh, Bill Self said on Sunday night that he expects to have most, if not all, of his players available. Um, they should be able to take care of Eastern Washington. The, the one drawback there, obviously, is Eastern Washington is a top 30 team nationally in pace. They're top 10 in foul shooting. If they're able to run Kansas a little bit and the Jayhawks don't have their legs after a little bit of a pause... Uh, they could give them a little bit of a push in this game. Uh, I have Kansas winning it, um, you know, but I would not be stunned if Eastern Washington out of the Big Sky was able to get this done. Are you telling me I should even just not even pick them once in this bracket? Well, if you're going you to convince me, if, if you're going to be that spiteful, <laughs> normally I would say don't gamble with your feelings. Sure, um, you know, but if you do want to be that. Spiteful, you know, you could reach for a three fourteen upset here. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. No, I'll, there's I'll usually a three fourteen that's close within, yeah. you know, a oh, possession yeah. or two there. Yeah, and it can well, go I, either way. Remember, usually one of them. Rem- if you're going to pick. Remember, f- a yeah. few years ago, within the first three hours of the tournament, Baylor and Iowa State were both out. Uh, Northwestern State and Georgia State, who had R.J. Hunter at the time, both advanced. Uh, and I know that that ruined more than a few brackets in, in a few of my pools. Um, yeah. you know, so 314 is, is not out of the realm uh, you know, for folks who might look and say, well, Eastern Washington, who are they? I haven't watched them play. You know, <laughs> Kansas, whatever. Uh, sure. You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, 710 there, Oregon and VCU. Uh, another team that we know well, obviously, VCU playing in the A10. Uh, they lost in the A10 title game to St. Bonaventure. And I think Mark Schmidt and the Bonnies gave Oregon a blueprint for how to win this game. Uh, and that was to limit Bones Highland while the game was being decided. Now, I had a little bit of a debate with, with a follower on Twitter last night. And I, I wanted to get 
your opinions on this. Bones Highland ended up with 21 points in that game, all in the second half. The final line looks really good. What I would say is that 12 of those came in the last 8.35. St. Bonaventure had a 16-point lead already. He was 4 for 11 from the field. He had two assists, five turnovers. Three fouls in the first half. Two of those were offensive, which double his turnovers. While the game was being decided, in my mind, you can add the 12 points at the end and, and the line looks good. But for me, I think St. Bonaventure did a good job, regardless of his scoring total. Because Absolutely. I think they won the game before he was able to get off. Yeah. They had to play catch-up. I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the debate? Okay. Well, the debate was that he had 21. Great. And that, you know, just because of that, he actually did have a good game. Ah, they were playing catch-up the whole time. Yeah. I'm with you, BK. Yeah. They were playing catch-up the whole time. Just, okay. I watched the whole game. Yeah. Absolutely. Good player. Uh, Bones Island's a good player. Really good. Yeah. And 21's nothing to sneeze at. No. Absolutely not. But the game was already decided before he got the majority. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And I think that Dana Altman is very much the equal of Mark Schmidt in terms of X's and O's. Uh, I, I don't see the Ducks with this much time to prepare, allowing Bones Highland to get off. I I think VCU's biggest issue throughout the season has been secondary scoring. I I just don't see a second and a third guy who are going to be able to beat you. Um, you So I do like Oregon in that game. Uh, That might have been the 7-10 game that I felt best about, honestly. I would agree with that. Um, you know, Iowa and Grand Canyon's on the other side, the 215. Um, you know, all I can really tell you about Grand Canyon is, is they're not coached by Bryce Drew, um, you know, which I, I didn't realize that he'd left Vanderbilt and uh, had a soft landing at Grand Canyon. I can also tell you that Dwayne Russell, Fats Russell's older brother, played at Grand Canyon, uh, graduated from there oh. after he transferred from Northern Arizona. Um, you know, I don't give them much chance in this game against Iowa. I, I think Iowa is, uh, you know, offensively is going to be a little bit too much. Uh, I would be a little concerned with Iowa later on in terms of their inability to play defense. Um, you know, but I, I certainly think that Iowa has enough here to avoid the two fifteen upset. Yeah, I, I Garz is just he's a great player, and they play in a great conference, so. Like, you know, competition level, yeah, I, I put a lot of stock into that with Iowa. The West region, uh, I've got Gonzaga and Ohio in the Sweet 16. I have USC and Iowa uh, playing in the Sweet 16. Gonzaga against USC in the Elite Eight, and I have Gonzaga going to the Final Four. I like it. I, I've been going back and forth on this, too, because you're right. With Iowa, competition level, great, but, you know, uh, defense at times, you know, um, you know, I could pick Oregon there. Um, I like USC to make at least a run to the Sweet 16. Oh, for now, again, I don't lock mine in until Friday noon, you know. So for now, let's go Oregon. I like that. Let's go USC, Elite Eight. And then I think ultimately Gonzaga's going to the Final Four. So Yeah, so I, I have uh, Oregon with the upset over Iowa. Um, I think... Yeah, Iowa can, Iowa's defense is a little suspect in my mind. Um, and there's always that 7-over-2, 10-over-2 in that second round. There's usually one of them. Yep. Uh, and I'll never forget in 2015, when I think we had three of them. Uh, Wichita State over Kansas. There was an 8-over-1, I think NC State over Nova and Pittsburgh. And there, were, there was one other that I'm forgetting now. But th- there's usually that, that second round, uh, especially if the 7 or the 10 is from a Power 5, used to playing top competition. Yes. Just be weary there. You know, if there's a 2 seed that gets picked off, um, in my mind, I think this year, I think Iowa has 
the best chance to get picked off. So I actually have the Ducks over Iowa. Uh, so I have Gonzaga over Creighton in my Sweet 16. I don't know. I've gone back and forth now between <laughs> USC and, and Oregon. And, I, and I'm with Coity here. My bracket's not locked in until Friday at noon, and, and it's Monday at noon. Uh, I guess I'm going with the Ducks. I had the Ducks written in at first. That's my gut. And then I have Gonzaga to the Final Four out of the West. Well, generally, you should always go with your gut. That's usually the best policy. Uh, I would also say that no one's bracket is locked in until Tuesday when all these teams certify that they actually can go to the NCAA tournament. Great point. Uh, you know, there are COVID issues. Uh, you do not want to submit these too early uh, to your pool administrator uh, because there still could be teams who test out, teams who have three or four players positive, uh, teams who have players ruled out due to contact tracing. So wait as long as you can before you can submit these. Uh, you know, because realistically, th- this is you know this is a tournament unlike any other that that we will ever see again. Let's hope. Um, you know, we certainly don't ever want to live through another NCAA event uh, in the midst of a pandemic. We want fans there. We want teams healthy, players healthy. Um, you know, and certainly that is something to consider uh, as we go into the end of this week. Um, We'll go to the East region, uh, and and what I think, you know, Maury sort of hit on this a little bit. Uh, once you get into that second round, the one and two seeds are a little bit more endangered, and, and I think Michigan will find themselves um, potentially endangered, uh, you know, before they get too deep into this tournament. They're going to have a big miss. Uh, Isaiah Livers is going to be out. Uh, he has a foot injury. Um, you know, senior, a shooter, a veteran player in the front court. Um, you know, Michigan, I think, is going to be in full-blown survival mode from the second round on, uh, and, and I just think it's really difficult to ride your luck in this tournament through four or five games. I, I think you need, you know, a good start. Maybe get pushed every once in a while, but, you know, it certainly helps to win a little easily. Um, you know, Michigan will play the winner of Mount St. Mary's and Texas Southern. Uh, I'm sure you guys agree with this. If, if Bryant had managed to win the Northeast Conference, I do not think that they would have been in a play-in game. Um, you know, I also think that they might have been able to scrape their way into, like, the bottom 15 seat. For sure. I agree. No, no doubt. I look at, like, a Cleveland State or, like, an Oral Roberts, like, one of those two games, and that's probably where I would have had Bryant. One of those two teams would probably go to the first four. Yep. That's probably where I would look. Is that, not, is that not sending Rick Pitino to the first four? No. No. <laughs> no, they're certainly not. They need him in the tournament. Um, you know, speaking of coaches with, with NCAA trouble, we arrive at LSU St. Bonaventure. Uh, you want to talk about Black Hat against White Hat. Will Wade against Mark Schmidt. Uh, Will Wade, the former VCU coach, who's now at LSU, uh, making a strong-ass appearance in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Folks can look that up on their own time. Will Wade is a cheater. You can hear his voice on FBI tapes here, there, and everywhere. Uh, Mark Schmidt has done wonders at St. Bonaventure, sweeping the A-10 regular season and postseason titles. The first team in the conference to do that since St. Louis in 2013. Um, you know, the Bonnies, a, a really interesting team going forward. They only play about six guys. Can they win with only six guys? Uh, you know, can they win a game in the round of 64, I think they're 0-3 in their last three appearances. Uh, for me, I have St. Bonaventure winning this game. I don't think LSU is very good on defense. I think Osun Osuni is the type of big guy who can play against Power Fives. Um, you know, LSU is 
certainly talented. We know they can score it. We saw that against URI last year. Offensively, they are potent. Uh, but the Rams were with them in that game. Um, and this St. Bonaventure team is, is better than that URI team was. Uh, you know, So maybe a bit of a familiarity pick here, but I like St. Bonaventure in that 8-9 game. I'm going chaos in my East bracket. Love it. Good. I'm going chaos. Good. Michigan takes, you know, wins that first game. Yeah. I take St. Bonaventure, and I'm putting the Bonnies in the Sweet 16. Look at you. There you go. I'm putting them over Michigan. It may be a stretch, but I liked what I saw. Experienced team. I like Lofton. I like Asunii. It's a team that we've seen uh, enough of where maybe that's why I'm looking at it that way. Sure. I, and with, with Livers and the uh, uh, un, uncertain status with him for Michigan. He's a big miss. I think it's a huge, huge deal. So I'm going Bonnie's in the Sweet 16. My Sweet 16 is the 9 seed, the 12 seed, the 3 seed, and the 7 seed. Wow. So that is Bonaventure, Georgetown, Texas, and the Huskies, Danny Hurley, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's my sweet 16. Yeah, this this region is, I think it's ripe, man. I think it is ripe. I agree. Last time the Huskies were in the tournament is the seven seed in the bottom left part of the bracket. They won it all. Bingo. Running a little... Uh, well, then. Run, running a little... Uh, <laughs> there. History repeating. There. It's yeah, information, Seven folks. years ago. Yep. I don't know if it was the East region, but I remember it being in the bottom left part of the bracket. Cause in they 2014. Beat, beat St. Joe's, and then they beat somebody else, and they kept on winning all the way to the national championship. Folks. But I, I like I like Coit's pick of St. Bonaventure to the Sweet 16. I have Florida State beating Michigan in the Sweet 16 to go to the Elite Eight. So I do as well. If nice. you think that Michigan, a one seed, you know, is vulnerable to lose a game, then I think definitely how about you know go for you know have some chutzpah and, and, and pick them to lose the round before so I have Michigan uh, LSU are we going right down the bracket here should I if go you for want, it first sure. round winners yeah. Georgetown I like Georgetown to spring the upset Me too. and then Florida State to make the run of the Elite Eight um, Michigan State I think every year other than 2019 the last time we had a an NCAA tournament. There's been a team from the first four to to get to the third to get to the round of 32, if not make a deeper run. I think they've won games in like six or seven years in a row. Yeah, they're a strong pick. Yeah, they Every year Syracuse and 18 went to the Sweet 16. VCU obviously 10 years ago went first four to the Final Four. Yeah, uh, and there's been other teams. So um, I like Michigan State to upset BYU, even though I think BYU is a solid team. Yep. Uh, Texas has some top end talent. UConn and Alabama. Uh, that's all first first round games. Uh, I'll tell you that you know I was disappointed when I saw Wichita State and Drake pop up on my screen. I, I don't like when they put two non-power fives against each other in the first four. I, I just think it's a cheap way to get rid of one of them. I agree. But when I saw Michigan State and UCLA pop up, I almost jumped off my couch. I loved it. Well, I was like, that is how you do it, selection committee. That is how you suck me into the first four. 100%. And that's why it's funny. I think there were a lot of people that were, were looking at it and saying, well, why isn't Syracuse going to the first four? Why? You know, because they were on the bubble and they were sort of in between don't, uncertain. Don't look at Maury that way. He I'm feels just, attacked. No, but I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> defending him here. I'm defending him here. Why wouldn't you want Michigan State in the first four? Why would I Look, putting Syracuse there, sure. Absolutely. That, that would be attractive, too. But yep. to me, putting Tom Izzo there? Mm. Oh, yeah. It's big time. I'll watch it. I Absolutely, I'll watch it. No question. Yeah, because you can see that they could win that game, and then they could win another one. And then they, we, they could win another one. That's just the Spartans draw in the big bracket. They do. They do.
Uh, Colorado, Georgetown, I, I am intrigued by Colorado. Georgetown, to me, feels like a team that was really playing for a purpose in the Big East tournament. Um, you know, to sort of rally behind their coach, Patrick Ewing, to honor their former coach, the late John Thompson. Uh, I don't necessarily see Georgetown being able to sustain that. Colorado is one of the oldest teams in the field, uh, 30th in terms of age. Top 30 team at both ends, offense and, and defensive efficiency. I, I think they're pretty good. Um, Florida State, I like a lot. Uh, I actually have them in the Elite Eight and going to my Final Four. Um, wow. You know, I, I look at a team that's – they're only two and three in the last five, but they can really shoot it from three. Uh, they have great size up front. And, and I think it's time for Leonard Hamilton, is. Who, who is the youngest 72 or 73-year-old guy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, wh- whatever he's got in his breakfast, I, I want some yeah. because he, he just doesn't age. Yep. Um, you know, he's been a great coach for a long time. You could argue that he's a Hall of Fame type coach. Um, you know, and this would sort of be the the headliner on his resume to get to a Final Four with Florida State. Um, you know, who I thought was going to win the ACC championship, they ended up losing to Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech. I'm sorry, but um, I really like the Seminoles. I, I think they're a good team. They could get pushed by UNC Greensboro in that first game. They, they've got some physically representative players up front. Uh, but I am a fan of Florida State. I, I think they get to the Final Four. Um, you know, I'm with Maury. I like BYU. Three of their losses to, are to Gonzaga. Another is to USC. That's the way you go 20-6. and six. Uh, I mean, they're, they're top 30 in offense and defense. They start three seniors. Uh, they're going to be a really dangerous team in the bottom half of that bracket. Um, you know, Michigan State, UCLA, Tom Izzo against Mick Cronin, two guys who have won a lot. Yeah, I shouldn't downplay Cronin being there, too. Holy uh, cow. You know, in his second year, getting them to the NCAA tournament, uh, yeah. back where UCLA belongs, quite frankly. Um, you know, that is a big-time matchup of, of head coaches. Uh, I lobbed a bit of a grenade into the bracket with the 314 game. I took Abilene Christian. Oh. <laughs> and the reason for that is, you know, similar to Georgetown, Texas breaks through. Shaka Smart wins the Big 12 title. Uh, someone who was on the ropes last year in terms of his job security uh, until he put Texas into clear NCAA position at the end of last season. The Longhorns decided to stick with him, and they were rewarded this year. Um, you know, 8-2 and two in the last 10, playing really well. They won't really think much of Abilene Christian. It's a team with a top 30 defense. They're number one in the nation in terms of turnovers forced. 26.7% of possession. They're 13th in the nation in three-point defense. They've played Texas Tech and Arkansas. So they've been exposed to elite competition. They're second on assists per field goals. 67% of their field goals come with an assist. They're also 34th in experience. So they're an old team. They have all of the sort of hallmarks that if you want to throw a Hail Mary and pick a 314 upset, Abilene Christian profiles as the type of team that you would take the risk on. And, going by Maury's strategy, I have BYU in the Sweet 16 anyway. Ooh! And so I would think that if you want to try to pick up an extra point or two early on in your pools, this would be a spot where you could go for it. Go for the 314 game and take Abilene Christian. Calculated. See, and these I are like it. but these are the differences in brackets and philosophies and things that you look at. Because I have Texas in the final four. There it is. I'm going with Shaka in the final four. There's, these are the differences that you have. He's been but before. There you go. Exactly. Ten years later. The experience, 
Uh, I think the talent that they have there, the fact that they are peaking and they have played really, really well the last month of the season. That's why I like the Longhorns. I, I just think I, I wouldn't bet against Tom Izzo. That's why I like them over BYU. Um, but I think when Texas wins that game, I, I and, and that's the thing. You said Georgetown, yes, they were playing for a purpose. I just think that they're, again, putting it together at the right time of the year. That's why I have Georgetown in the Elite Eight. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> look at you. Now, I could see, though, look, if Florida State it advances, that's it's a strong pick. It, it really is. And I kind of went back and forth on that. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's what I have for Elite Eight. And I have the Longhorns back to the Final Four. See, now John Rook is going to be sending the Christmas cards to you. Hook them. And certainly not to me. Hook them. Uh, the the longtime PC radio voice, uh, proud Texas alum. Yeah, I don't know about that pick, John. Uh, yeah, uh, John John is not going to be happy with with me, uh, you know. But certainly, I, I figure, you know, why not? But Let's this is what we do. Today. This is why we do this bracket. It's fun. It's fun to talk about, and it's fun to see the differences when you put them all wow, together. So Texas in the final four—that's outstanding. I, I do like. I mean, I could see it. And They're I'm with you on Florida State's a great one too. I'm, I'm with you. The the bottom of the East region, this is my favorite grouping of two games together. You want to talk about storylines in this. UConn, Maryland, and Alabama, Iona. <laughs> I mean, goodness. If, if, you're a, if you're a beat writer for any of these four schools, <laughs> this stuff is going to write itself awesome. over this week. Yep. It's outstanding. Yep. Um, you know, UConn and Maryland, obviously the local hook there is Dan Hurley is in his third year with the Huskies, and he has them back in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they were ten or eleven and three with James Booknight this season. Uh, you know he is projected as a lottery pick, so he certainly gives you a star. Um, you know, but I'm more interested in in the scandalous personal history between Dan Hurley and Mark Turgeon. Uh, and I would rather go back to the 2015 Cancun Challenge, which I was fortunate enough to attend uh, on the Riviera Maya. Uh, you or I played Maryland in the championship game. Without E.C. Matthews, he had just gotten hurt. He was lost for the season. Uh, URI was not who they expected to be at that point. And Maryland hammered them in the championship game, blew them out, crushed them. Um, Dan was not in a great mood going to Mexico because obviously, you know, E.C. gets hurt. That's his guy. It changed the entire Changed the entire year. Yeah. Uh, and, and to watch Maryland just crush them with Mellow Trimble and Diamond Stone and Jake Lehman, that was a really good team. They were number two in the country at the time. Yeah. Uh, there was an exchange in the handshake line after the game Got a little bit heated between the two teams. Uh, Dan Hurley and Mark Turgeon sort of shook it off afterwards, said, you know, we're just competing. It's a championship game, whatever else. Nonsense. There was molten lava coming off both of those guys in the lobby of the Hard Rock, Riviera Maya. Um, you know, and, and so I certainly think that, you know, Dan isn't the type of guy who's going to forget that sort of thing. I would imagine he's going to have the Huskies motivated and ready to go. I've said throughout the year on this podcast that I think UConn has elite upside. I have them in the Elite Eight, actually. I, I think they will break through um, You know, very early on here with Book Knight looking to atone for uh, what he said was one of the worst games of his career against Creighton in the Big East semifinals. He is the type of star who can drag you forward. They have the sort of front court depth that can match up going into the NCAAs, and you know that the way they defend is going to be non-negotiable. Um, you know, so I am buying on UConn coming out of that when I'm making a run here. I, I have them in the Sweet 16. Yeah, as I, as I said, um, but I, I stick with Texas over them. After that, 
Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think book night at least wins you a couple games, gets you to the second weekend. Yeah, I think if, if there's a, sl- a true sleeper that could make a crazy run, I think it definitely is UConn. Deep, talented, athletic. The coach has been there, uh, and they have that star. And they have that star in book night. Um, but I have Alabama beating them in the round of 32. <laughs> and, and by doing that, you have E.C. Matthews High School coach Nate Oates, uh, who is now at Alabama, who was at Buffalo previously. Uh, who swept SEC regular season and tournament titles. Uh, Oates was coaching at Buffalo under Bobby Hurley, who was hired away from URI. He was Bobby Hurley's top assistant. He was promoted when Bobby Hurley went to Arizona State. Uh, He was actually here in 2016 playing the NCAA tournament uh, with Buffalo. I think they lost to Miami that first game. Yeah, Laranega, yep. Uh, And sitting in the first row behind press row was Dan Hurley and E.C. Matthews. They, They wanted to get a little flavor of the NCAA tournament, which they ultimately ended up going to the next year in 2017. Nate Oates, a great story. He was a high school coach in Michigan 10 years ago uh, at Romulus, um, you know, and really has Alabama playing an entertaining style of basketball. Um, and if they weren't going to play UConn in the, sweet, in the, in the round of 32, uh, if, if there was a weaker opponent there, if they end up playing Maryland, for example, I, I think they can take care of Maryland quite easily. Yep. Um, but just the matchup there and, and the fact that you know he'd be going up against Dan, I, I think uh, psychologically Hurley would have some kind of advantage. Uh, Alabama playing against Iona. Excellent. Folks here might know Iona's coach. Oh, it's excellent. A little bit. A certain gentleman named Rick Patino, who has led his fifth program to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, the list includes Boston University, my alma mater. That a boy. Uh, Providence, Kentucky, Louisville. And now Iona. Um, Rick Pitino playing against Alabama 34 years after the Friars beat Alabama in the NCAA tournament on their way to a Final Four. That was a 103-82 spanking. Providence was 14 for 20 from three on that night. Billy Donovan had 26 points and 10 assists in that game. One of the best games of his college career. Wow. Uh, so talk about storylines here. You could have Dan Hurley against Nate Oates. You could have Dan Hurley against Rick Pitino. Um, you know, you could have Alabama against UConn, which would be SEC power against rejuvenated Big East power. Um, you know, certainly just I, I, I think in terms of four teams grouped together, I think that is the richest grouping of four teams in terms of storyline in the entire tournament. I love it. I love it. I just the East to me, there's so much to talk about. There's so much that could happen. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And those last two matchups. When UConn-Maryland popped up and you put that, that piece up about Turgeon and Hurley, I was like, oh, this is what the tournament's about, man. Yeah. I, I just, I loved it. I, I Having Patino back in the tournament is, is just, it's interesting. Yeah, this, this East region may, may be my favorite. It, it it could be phenomenal. I, I uh, you know I, lo- I look at this and and I think like you, I've got a bunch of lower seeded teams who who end up uh, advancing deep. I have BYU and UConn playing in the Sweet Sixteen, Michigan and Florida State on the other side. But I don't feel great about the Wolverines without Livers, Florida State and UConn in the regional final, and Florida State in the final four. I know Coit, you're going with Texas. Going with Texas. Um, you know who I have out in the first round. So you you could see just. You know, the variance that could exist here in the East Region. Maury, where are you going? I have the Seminoles over the Longhorns in the Elite Eight. Nice. Okay. So you guys both believe in Texas, which I, I completely understand. Um, you know, they certainly have talent. They certainly have the coach. Who can get them there? Um, 
jump over to the South region. Uh, I think I, I might not have said this a month ago, but I think the most vulnerable one seed going into the field is Baylor. Um, you know, and oddly enough, I, I look at them based on the profile that we talked about early in the podcast. Uh, the fact that defenses tend to win in March Madness. Baylor has the worst defense out of any number one seed in the field. They're only 41st nationally in defensive efficiency. Uh, they're 179 defending the three. They're 280 on the defensive glass. And, and so I look at that and I think, are they going to be able to get the stops? Are they going to be able to stop a team that gets hot against them? A team that's able to take care of the ball that doesn't allow them to speed them up. And I could see two of those teams as early as the second round, either North Carolina or Wisconsin. Uh, North Carolina is the number one offensive rebounding team in the nation. They could crush the Bears on the glass. Wisconsin is one of the oldest teams in the nation. Um, you know, second in offensive turnover percentage, 22nd in experience. They haven't lost to a team outside the top 35 all year, according to Ken Palm. I could see Baylor going down in the round of 32. I think they're the most endangered one seed in this field. I have Wisconsin winning that second game uh, and going to the Sweet 16. Uh, but realistically, I, I could see a coin flip in that first round. I think that's the best 8-9 game by far. Um, you know, the two teams with the most upside in terms of being able to make a deep run out of that 8-9 slot by far. I'm just going through my picks again. Like I said, I went over some of them last night. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Baylor is vulnerable, but I still think they're uber-talented. Um, and so I, I still have them going to the Elite Eight. Um, I do. Uh, I, I think UNC is, you know, I love Roy Williams. Uh, I have them winning that 8-9 game. Dadgummit! So, yeah. <laughs> well, it could be, you know, again, 8-9 coin flip. Um, but they've just been they've been inconsistent. They've been good all year, and then then they've had off nights. Um, I think the the funny thing is I think the the trendy pick in this bracket, and I saw somebody throw up a meme of like a bunch of people running towards something. The trendy five twelve upset pick is Winthrop over Villanova. Sure, in that in that five twelve matchup, I'm not falling for it. I'm not doing it. I. I know Colin Gillespie is a huge part of what Villanova does, and I know that that is an important missing piece. However, Jay Wright is a heck of a coach. Mm -hmm. They still have a heck of a team with Robinson Earl. Um, I still have Nova winning that game. After that, fair game. Uh, But I still have Nova winning that game uh, in 5-12 and going up against Purdue. In the next in the next round, uh, though I do I do like the main grain there. The uh, the four thirteen matchup could be good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, Sunday night when the when that matchup was presented, Seth Davis had Winthrop I think ten seconds after they put Easily. Winthrop in there. Easily. Right. Um, so yeah, going with Nova, like I was saying earlier, and to your point, Nick, is feels like the upset picking yeah. the five there. Um, I like Baylor. I think the one thing that that I've seen from Baylor night in and night out, regardless of performance and regardless of result, is they just play hard. I mean, these dudes play hard. They bring it. Scott Drew is a hell of a coach. Um, I think regardless of situation, they've played a ton of great teams in the Big 12 every year. I think even if you get down 10, you get down 15 in the NCAA tournament, those tough-minded teams, teams with that mental toughness, they can you know come back from, from a big deficit. So that's why I have Baylor to my Elite Eight. Uh, in the South region. I like Wisconsin a lot. 
Um, I just worry about their potential offensively. I think sometimes they can get stuck in a rut. Um, but I think a, an older Wisconsin team beats a younger North Carolina team. But you never know. North Carolina could, could make a run to the Elite Eight. They could make a run of the Final Four uh, if they're playing well. Side note, I think the Tar Heels are phenomenal next year when they bring back a ton of their guys now and they have a great recruiting class. So look out for the Tar Heels next. Probably year. speaks to the Jekyll and Hydeness of them in for terms sure. of like you know their youth and you know the guys that they have. It's a good point. There is yeah. one interesting gambling note to to keep mind regarding Villanova and Winthrop, and that, and that's generally when everyone likes the underdog. Yes, could be a little dangerous. Yes. Go the other way. Might want to go the other way and yeah, go with the favorite. That's kind of the way uh, I was thinking that's, too. That's kind of. I did pick Winthrop, uh, but I, I. It is nagging me a little bit that everyone has Winthrop. And everybody, like uh, the whole world, is running toward them. And you know, everyone is looking at that as a five twelve game. There's no Colin Gillespie. Uh, he's obviously out with a left knee injury. Winthrop is twenty three and one. Um, you know, they run up and down the court. They, they've got a guy in Chandler Vaudrin who is a triple-double threat. Uh, he plays like Lamar Odom a little bit, yeah. point-forward type guy. Uh, but when everyone loves a dog, you, you might need to go with the fave. Uh, Winthrop will go down in my brackets, but um, I won't feel as good about it as, as maybe I did uh, when the bracket came out on sure. Sunday night. Uh, sure. Purdue and North Texas is an interesting game. Main grain. Um <laughs> Purdue is 23rd nationally in offense and defense in terms of efficiency. Uh, Trevion Williams is a National Player of the Year candidate. But North Texas, uh, I mean, North Texas is an old team, 13th in experience, 350th in adjusted tempo. So they could drag Purdue into Mm -hmm. the mud, sort of impose their will on Purdue a little bit if if they're able to control the game with their experience uh, and slow Purdue down into something that's uncomfortable. When you're up by eight, it feels like 16. Those are hard games to play in in the tournament. Uh, I do have Purdue winning that game, but I could certainly see how, if North Texas is able to get that game played at their pace, uh, that they could make things interesting. Um, The next game, I I think Texas Tech and, and Utah State um, this is the hard hat game for me. Uh, you know, you could see guys out there in football pads in, in this game. <laughs> These are two of the most physical, most nasty teams that you're going to see in this tournament. Uh, Texas Tech is, they're like a root canal playing against them. Uh, they are just so brutal defensively. They finished 24th this year in defense. That's their worst finish in the last four years. Uh, they were fourth, first, ninth, 21st. Chris Beard is just an excellent coach. Really good coach. At that end of the floor. Utah State is one of the toughest teams in the paint in the nation. They're eighth in defense, 16th in offensive rebounding, fifth in defensive rebounding, fourth in two point defense, seventh in block percentage. Good luck getting anything at the rim against these guys. This game could be in the 50s. Both teams could be battered and bruised and have no chance to win their next game. Uh, I mean, this is, this is going to look like it's it's going to be an absolute rock fight between these two teams. Not for the faint of heart. Keep your kids away from the TV <laughs> in, in this one. Um, you know, I took Texas Tech in this game. I think they'll survive. I think they've played enough wars in the Big 12 where they'll be able to come out on top. But, but realistically, um, you know, if you're looking at a game where – you want to teach your kids, if you're a high school coach, youth coach, you want to teach your kids to be physical, to rebound, to work, you know, blue-collar ethic, this is the one to watch throughout the entire field. So I like this this slot of four teams here with 
with the 611 and the 314 matchup because it's such a stark contrast. As you mentioned, the 611 here with Texas Tech and Utah State is drag it down, great defense, just all over the boards, like you said, put on the pads. And then in contrast, the 314 matchup with Arkansas and Colgate, that might go 105 to 102. Right. Like that. That is. That's what I love about this. Is just such a uh, contrast in styles. And you heard it on the selection show. And I had the same reaction when I heard Arkansas and Colgate. I was like, wow. These guys are going to put on their track shoes and they're going to be running a 5K. Yeah. Like it is, oh my goodness, it's going to be great. So uh, 6-11, I could see it going either way. Um, I, Texas Tech is battle-tested. I went with Utah State. I gave them the credit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they've, they have a good squad. As you mentioned, uh, being being on the glass, I think, goes a long way, and especially in a drag-it-out, muddy game. Um, you know, that could help them. So I'm taking them there. Uh, in the next matchup, though, Arkansas-Colgate, I'm taking Arkansas. I'm buying in on the Razorbacks. Uh, and, guys, I have Arkansas going to the Final Four. I do, too. I have Arkansas going to the Final Four. Oh, boy. I do, too. Yep. I, I like I like the fact that they can... They're number two in the nation in offense. Number two. Yeah. And I think if you get up against teams like Utah State, if they get them, or even Texas Tech, you get to the Sweet 16, the toughest matchup, I think, for them will be Ohio State because I think Ohio State is, again, plays in what is the best conference in the country this year. Um, I could see the Buckeyes winning that game, but I'm believing in on the Razorbacks. And I think with Baylor and some of their defensive... You know deficiencies in some of their flaws. I think Arkansas could expose them, and that's why I have them going to the Final Four. They ripped my heart out of my Jerome bracket. I had Arkansas winning the <laughs> SEC, so there's a little bit of a I recency bias there. Okay, where I, you know, you know what? I'm, Wait, so, I'm out so on, you're, I'm out so on you're, the Razorbacks. You're holding the grudge now. I am. Coit was in Kansas earlier. Now yes, you okay? Exactly. Good. Yeah. It happens. I get it. Good. Uh, I get it. Let's go Colgate there on on. Friday. Let's go. Let's go. Keegan Records. I love it in that one. I love it. Okay. Love it. Um, A lot of people in South County will be watching that one. So uh, I have Texas Tech beating Arkansas in the round of 32. And then let's start the conversation about the 7-10-2-15. I think Ohio State gets by Oral Roberts fairly easily. Um, Another good matchup, 7-10. I like Virginia Tech. I like Mike Young there in that spot. Um, and I have Ohio State winning a couple games and, and getting to the Elite Eight. Well, I mean, Florida just isn't who they were supposed to be. You know, obviously, with, with that terrible incident with Keontae Johnson very early in the season, collapsing on the floor, I think that was at Florida State in that game. Um, he was a preseason SEC Player of the Year and, and a surefire pro. Uh, for him to have an art, uh, for him to have a heart issue like he did. Um, you know, thankfully he looks healthy now. He's obviously not playing, but he's been with the team throughout the season. Florida had so much more upside with someone like that in their lineup. Um, you know, Florida Virginia Tech is is the type of game where it's two Power Five teams. They're both very athletic. Um, you know, I'm not really certain if if they have much upside going forward into the field. Um, you know, and certainly not with Ohio State on the other side. I, I see some long term issues for Ohio State. Uh, they're 79th in defense. They only force turnovers 15 percent of the time. That's 336th. Uh, they're middling three point shooting defense. They will beat Oral Roberts, who is the worst defense in the field in terms of efficiency. Um, 
you know, I do have Ohio State losing to Arkansas. I just think that Arkansas and Colgate kind of do the same thing. Arkansas just does it a little better. Mm-hmm. Colgate hasn't necessarily played anyone who's a step up in class. They only played against the Patriot League. This year, that was a decision that the conference made to try to keep the players safe uh, and COVID-free. And I, I fully understand that. Um, I have Arkansas in the Final Four, like Coit does. I, I think that Eric Musselman can really coach. Um, he's got a one-and-done pro in Moses Moody, who, who could be a first-round pick, uh, a scoring wing, you know, just a really talented kid. Um, they play really fast and, and could be difficult to adjust to. I have them beating Purdue in the Elite Eight. Um, you know, I think Purdue is just a really well-balanced team. Matt Painter is an excellent coach. Uh, Trevion Williams is the type of guy who can put a team on his back and run through the field. I, I also don't think that Purdue is going to have much trouble with either Winthrop or Villanova if they're able to get past North Texas. I think Villanova is diminished. Uh, I think they'd be more talented than Winthrop. Uh, And then if you subscribe to the theory like I do that that Wisconsin or North Carolina can beat Baylor, that makes Purdue in the Sweet 16 a favorite. Um, you know, so I would put Purdue against Arkansas in my Elite Eight there. I have Arkansas going to the Final Four. Uh, I think Eric Musselman breaks through pretty early here in his Razorbacks tenure in just his second year. Uh, and I think Arkansas is the type of team who could get back to where they were in the 90s under Nolan Richardson, a team that can play annually at or near the top of the SEC. Yep. I'm with I I have Baylor in the Elite Eight uh, losing to Arkansas. That's probably the only difference I got there. Um, and I, I liked what I saw from Ohio State, so I have them in the Sweet 16, um, you know, falling to Arkansas. But again, um, you know, I, I was I was impressed on a big stage the way that Washington handled himself and um, you know, they really they grinded it out against an Illinois team that as I mentioned near the top of the podcast, I you know, I really, really like. Yeah. Me yeah, on my Sweet 16, I have Baylor and Purdue and Texas Tech and Ohio State. Uh, and I have the one and two seeds advancing to the Elite Eight there with, with Chalk and Baylor going to the Final Four. Um, yeah, I mean, as much as I'm holding that grudge, Bill, you make a, an awfully good argument. <laughs> and, and those those are the same reasons why two weeks ago I picked Arkansas. You know, they had one eight straight to end the regular season to go to the SEC tournament and uh, and run right through there. Um, so I might have to might have to think on that one again before I put these in Sharpie. Uh, right now they're just in pencil, but uh, right now I like Baylor over Ohio State in the South Region Final. Yeah, Baylor obviously has had a great year. They have great guards with with Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. Uh, you know, can really score it and get up and down. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to stick to you know maybe the guiding principle of how I'm going to pick my bracket, it, it's going to be defense based and. Uh, you know, I see them as, as the weakest of the one seeds in that regard, but like anything else here, would not be surprised if, if they just decide to spite me and make a deep run and maybe win the national championship. I, I mean, why not? Go ahead, Scott Drew. Go crazy. Uh, <laughs> certainly. Uh, the last region, the Midwest region, uh, comes to my second national finalist. That is Illinois. Uh, Coit, I have the same final as you. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga against Illinois. Uh, the Illini are... I mean, just physically, physically, if you watch them play over 40 minutes, that is not the type of game that you want to jump into if if you're just some random pickup guy on the street. You know, I I look at some teams playing the NCAA, and and I think back to, you know, like guys who I 
watch play in high school or, or at a lower level college and, and I think you know this game would be fun to play in you know they get up and down they don't really challenge you too hard physically um, you know their athletes aren't necessarily these off the charts guys who, who look like they're from Mars you know it would be okay to play in this game Illinois is not your team if, if that's what you're looking to do yeah uh, you know Io DeSumo is looks like a guy who's going to be a first round pick if he decides to come out Kofi Coburn physically is the closest thing I've seen to Greg Oden in the college game in in 15 years. He is just a mountain of a man Mm -hmm. inside. Seven-footer, 280 pounds, muscles on top of muscles. Um, Good luck going in the paint against him. Uh, And your third option is a guy named Andre Corbello, who's really stepped forward. New York City kid. Swagger. Super player. Swagger. You know, just really has confidence uh, you know, just dripping off him. Well, and don't discount too when they go to the bench and put Coburn on the bench. They go to Georgie. I'm not going to try to say his last name, but we'll just call him Georgie. That kid can make an impact. He made an impact in that in that title game yesterday. Uh, that that was that was impressive. So the squad itself, you know, you've got two great players, but everybody behind them. You know, can really contribute. Even the the kid Williams too. I mean, that just at every spot. I think they're solid. Williams on Illinois, really? Wow, love yeah. it. They've got they've got some similarities of that team that made the run. You know, fifteen years ago to the national championship game. So, yeah. um, I think there are a lot of reasons why uh, Illinois should be a favorite in the Midwest, and and I have them getting the national championship game as well, like mm-hmm. both of you guys. Yeah, Georgie uh, Bensenashvili. There you go. Is, he's is good at this. I don't for. know why he's good at this. Is these. that Sandro's cousin? I was going to say. Do we know? Is that confirmed? <laughs> you just you just go to the media notes. Yeah. You just go to the media notes. They have pronunciations in there. Sure. Uh, Illinois fourteen and one in their last fifteen games, and and you mentioned Demonte Williams. I think it's important when you have guys like Demonte Williams and Trent Frazier in your program. Two four-year players, two guys you recruited initially, two culture guys to back up exactly. the underclassmen mm-hmm. like DeSumo, like Coburn, like Curbelo. Um, the guy stirring the drink at Illinois is Brad Underwood, and, and I think that you know we should go into Brad Underwood, Brad Underwood a little bit just quickly. Um, the fact that Brad Underwood killed everybody at Stephen F. Austin dominated the Southland while he was there. Spent one year at Oklahoma State. He was on the lowest salary in the Big 12. Went 20-13 and 13 at a program that was really struggling at the time. And for whatever reason, Oklahoma State in the original contract didn't have a strong buyout provision, didn't have a big salary bump planned for Brad Underwood. Illinois swooped in, hired him away from the Cowboys after one year. And look what he's doing now in Champaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean... Oklahoma State has risen now. They're in the field. We'll get to them later here in this Midwest region. But Brad Underwood can coach. If you can win like he won at Stephen F. Austin, you know, and you can do the things that, that he's doing at this point, um, Brad Underwood can really, really coach. Um, you know, and I, I'm just – I'm not surprised – that he has this going the way he does at Illinois. I, I think that they are outstanding. Um, I wish that they weren't playing Drexel in this game. Drexel's a great story out of the CAA. Uh, probably the most likely Philly team to make an NCAA tournament. Um, you know, they, they're coached by Zach Spiker, who was at Army before that. He's in his fifth year at Drexel. Uh, it's his first time over 500 with the Dragons. Uh, that's a really tough job. Uh, so for them to get through the CAA, 
get a 16 seed you figured they'd be towards the bottom of the field you would have liked if they could have drawn someone a little nicer a little more cuddly than, than <laughs> illinois uh yeah, because really they they just have no chance in this game i did so, not expect you to use the word cuddly yeah, on this podcast today. you know but but round of applause round of applause to drexel sure uh for breaking through in the caa they they are a great story um, you know, the 8-9 game there, Loyola and Georgia Tech, uh, this is a game that, you know, Maury alluded to Georgia Tech's seeding earlier. Uh, Loyola is another team that a lot of folks would look and say that they are badly underseeded. Uh, they're 9 overall in Ken Palm, and yet they're an 8 seed. The top 8 teams in Ken Palm, the top 4 of the 1 seeds, the next 4 of the 2 seeds, what happened at 9? What happened with Loyola? Yeah. We're going to see if the on court and and the sort of the eye test meshes with the math here. We're going to see what Loyola can do. They were in the Final Four uh, when these seniors were freshmen. Cameron Crutwig was there. Lucas Williamson was there. God bless her sister Jean was there, and it's <laughs> still, still here. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at Loyola, the number one defense in the country, third in defensive rebounding. Eighth in free throws against, which means they defend but don't foul. Porter Moser is an excellent coach. They're an old team. Uh, I could see Loyola winning this game uh, against Georgia Tech, who is a fascinating story. Um, you know, going to the ACC championship game, they have the ACC player of the year in Moses Wright. As we mentioned earlier, they have Jose Alvarado, who is a Brooklyn kid. He is all heart. They're one of the oldest teams in the nation. Uh, 2.54 years of experience. That's fourth nationally. Josh Passner looks like a renegade chemistry teacher on the sidelines with that face shield and that sort of maniacal grin that he's got going. Um, you know, another game right behind North Carolina and Wisconsin for me. This is the second uh, eight-nine game in terms of interest for me. I think it's fascinating. There's no one happier on planet Earth than Josh Passner. He is a <laughs> poodle turned turn human turned head coach. Uh, his voicemail is awesome. I don't know if, you, if anyone out there heard it during the ACC championship game. I'm sure there's clippings on YouTube. Uh, just a guy that lives life to the fullest, has a smile on his face, super encouraging. Uh, and look where it's landed Georgia Tech. It's landed them as the ACC champ. And then just getting a brutal draw as a nine seed facing one of the better defensive experienced teams in the country, much like Bill was saying about Brad Underwood at Illinois. Porter Moser, really good coach at Loyola Chicago. And they still have some lingering pieces from the 2018 team that went to the Final Four. So when you're looking at the bracket, I have, uh, I have Illinois, like I said. Um, I actually like Loyola Chicago here in, in a – I guess it's chalk when you're looking at the seeds – I still consider it as an upset when you're beating an ACC champion. Um, and sure. I think I think Illinois, Loyola, Chicago would just be an awesome game for all Chicago supremacy and, and Illinois supremacy uh, there uh, between those two. And and a little bit down the line, you know, Tennessee, Oregon State, I think is an intriguing matchup. Uh, as is Oklahoma State, Liberty. But again, like I've stayed consistent on this show and in my beliefs I think when you have the best player on the court at all times you know Kate Cunningham might be the best player uh, of any six of any of the 68 teams that are participating in this beloved tournament so I have Oklahoma State there over Liberty I have Tennessee over Oregon State um, I think similar to I think Bill what you were saying about Georgetown I think the the run comes to an end uh, for the Beavers there as the 12 seed and I have Tennessee over Oklahoma State. So that's the top part of my Midwest region. I have Illinois over Tennessee to go to the Elite Eight. 
Uh, I like Georgia Tech in that game. I know you guys are romanticizing about the Loyola-Chicago-Illinois matchup. I like what Tech did late in the season, so I'm taking them in that matchup. These matchups actually disappoint me a little bit because I would love to see Tech somewhere else in the bracket because I think they could make some noise. I would love to see like an Oklahoma State somewhere else in the bracket because I think they would make some noise. I just like Illinois so much that (laughs) anybody, when they start advancing, uh uh-oh, here are the Illini. Sorry, you're going home. Take care. Take care, Georgia Tech. Pastner, bring your boys home. Take care, Cade Cunningham. See you later. You know, nice sweet 16 appearance, but I just like Illinois so much. Um, I'm taking I'm the I'm taking the 12-5. Um, I, I like what Oregon State has done late in the season as well. A lot of my picks have been sort of trends in how teams are peaking uh, late in the year. Uh, that's a nod to our friend Kate Rogerson, who's out there in uh, Oregon and oh, yeah, uh, was covering right. the Beavers out there. So that's right. Uh, I I take Oregon State there, but I'm with you. Cade Cunningham is a, a tremendous player. So that's why I have Oklahoma State uh, in in the Sweet 16 going up against the Illini, and you know where it goes from there in that top half. We we also got to uh, give a shout out to Nicky Latarulo, who's covering Baylor, Baylor uh, down right. in Texas. Yep. Uh, you know, Nikki could have herself a national champion, end up in a Final Four, which would be amazing for her career so early on. Uh, you know, to be able to, you know, obviously she's been covering the Baylor men and the Baylor women. Um, you know, talk about the highest levels of college basketball that, that you step right into. It, it's fantastic. Uh, I got a little anarchy in, in this point in the Midwest region. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like Illinois going forward, and, and because of that, because I see Illinois winning in the Sweet 16 and, and winning in the Elite Eight, uh, I have Oregon State beating Tennessee. I don't like the fact that Tennessee's probably going to play without John Fulkerson. Uh, he's a forward who sustained a facial fracture in the SEC tournament. He got elbowed by a Florida player, Omar Payne. Um, he's questionable in that game. Tennessee at times struggles to score it. Uh, Oregon State, I'm not the biggest fan of teams that win the conference tournament in terms of momentum, in terms of overachieving. I, I said that with Georgetown earlier. Um, but I do think that Tennessee is a little bit diminished and, and could get picked off here. Oklahoma State and Liberty, I, I think, is going to be a fascinating game. Um, you know, for me, Oklahoma State has the number one pick in the draft, Cade Cunningham, obviously. Um, you know, really, really talented team. They've won eight of their last 10, 22nd in defense nationally. A uh, couple things worry me about the Cowboys. They're 298th in turnover percentage. 324th in experience. So they give the ball away, and they're young. If they get into a little bit of a hole against a team like Liberty, who's won 12 in a row, who can really shoot it from three and from two, they're a top 10 shooting team in both, 20th in free throw shooting. Uh, 41% of their points are from three. They have four, three guys who shoot it at 40% or better. I'm taking liberty in the upset there against Oklahoma State. Um, you know, I feel like it's it's a good shot to take at that point in the bracket because I have Illinois advancing so deep. I actually have Liberty going to the Sweet 16 uh, and playing against Illinois. Um, you know, I think Oregon State's run ends in the round of 32. I, I think Liberty is is the type of sort of mid-major, lower conference team who's done a lot of winning in the last two or three years, who's played in an NCAA tournament. Um, you know, I feel like they're the type of team that profiles as somebody who can be a double-digit seed and, and make a Sweet 16. Oh, baby. I like it, BK. Spicy. Woo! I'm, I'm in for it. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I, I'm, I'm with the uh, the best player, you know, uh, in, in that part of the bracket with Katie Cunningham. That's why I have them moving on. But, hey, 
You make good points, Bill. You make good points. So I like it. Taking a shot. Maury, give us San Diego, Syracuse. Oh, my God. We, we know you've been waiting for this <laughs> Here one. Here it is. Well, my head says San Diego State. Uh, really good team. I have, I've seen him in parts of games this year. Haven't seen him in full. Listening to Jim Beheim's comments last night. I think they're 53-6 and six in the last two years. They've won 53 out of their last 59 games. Yeah. Experienced team. And, and the worst part about it, as good as the zone has been the last couple weeks for Syracuse, and they, they've gotten a lot better defensively, San Diego State, one of the better three-point shooting teams in the country, shooting it at just about 38% as a team, which is phenomenal. I think they have a guy in the high 40s. Uh, or, or mid 40s, and uh, they have a couple potential draftable guys. Um, San Diego State does. So I'm going with Syracuse because uh, I think the 2 3 zone is, is a little different. As everybody says, you know, this time of year, it's hard to prepare for it. Uh, and I think Buddy Beheim's playing phenomenal. But uh, my heart says Syracuse, my head goes San Diego State. I go Syracuse there, and then I have West Virginia to the Sweet 16 out of that little 14 pod. This is where I'm taking my shot. I'm going San Diego State to the Elite Eight. Okay. Yep. I'm taking them over Syracuse, take them over West Virginia. I have Houston going to the Sweet 16. I think they're just a, a heck of a team. Um, but I think the motivation of San Diego State, I know they lost a little bit from last season when they would have been one of the top four seeds, I believe, in a bracket if the tournament had happened last year. No one got hurt worse than San Diego State and Dayton. It it seemed like they both had lightning in a bottle. Yep, 100%. But I think they still have a lot from last season. And so I think the guys that are left over are super motivated to make some sort of run because they know they were robbed of it last year. Um, And and as Maury mentioned, you know, the three-point shooting. um, You know, I, I, I think they can get hot win a couple of games here. Um, and I don't mind taking a shot with them in this part of the bracket because of Illinois and because I have the L.I. and I in the Final Four in the National Championship game. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the bottom half there. I do have San Diego State going to my Sweet 16. Uh, I think West Virginia is, is a tick down defensively from who they typically are. Yeah. Under Bob Huggins, I, I think San Diego State will find a way to execute against them. They've been in enough high-level games over the last couple of years. They've had that exposure. Um, Clemson and Rutgers, two power conference teams like Virginia Tech and Florida. This game doesn't do a lot for me. Um, you know, I'm picking Clemson to win. Uh, you know, I, I like Houston going through in the bottom half there. I like Houston getting to the Elite Eight and, and losing to Illinois. Um, you know, I'm willing to sort of just be chalky there because I'm, I'm not necessarily as enthralled with, with those games. You know, Clemson, Rutgers, and, and Houston, Cleveland State, uh, you know, neither one really gets me too, too excited. Um, you know, so I'm looking at Illinois and Houston in my Elite Eight there, uh, Houston and San Diego State in the Sweet 16. I have Illinois to the Final Four, uh, beating Arkansas on that side of the bracket. That could be a really good game. Yeah, uh, I, I think Gonzaga and Florida State, for me, w- would maybe be the less dramatic of the two, uh, but I think Illinois and Arkansas, if, if it breaks for me in the Final Four, would be a really good game. Yep, that's what I've got too. Uh, I would love that matchup. Uh, I've got Illinois over Arkansas in the Final Four, and I've got Gonzaga over Texas in the Final Four, and then the national championship game as we agreed upon, uh, Gonzaga and, and Illinois. Uh, and my my score pick 
for the Ooh. for Gonzaga. Oh, tiebreaker. 73-69. I think it's going to be close. I know Gonzaga can run away with games, but I think Illinois is too good of a team to let that thing get too out of hand. Um, and I think ultimately it's a it's a four-point game. They maybe hit a free throw to ice it toward the end of it. And there's your national champ, undefeated. First time since Bob Knight, 1976. Yep. And I have Illinois over Baylor in the final four. Uh, Houston, yes, out of the bottom part of the Midwest. Uh, I have Rutgers over Clemson there in that 7-10. But I have Illinois over Baylor in the Final Four. Gonzaga over Florida State. And then I have Gonzaga over Illinois. Um, 73-69. Yeah, I think it might be a little bit more more high scoring than that. Uh, The total might be. I think Gonzaga might score closer to 80. Sure. uh, Or in the the low 80s. But, uh, yeah, I think Gonzaga, I mean, just too good too good i mean you know a lot you look at the records it doesn't really matter i mean you got to go gonzaga here and then what like bill likes to say that means they're not going to win at all yeah there's no chance that gonzaga (laughs) will play illinois there's no chance that either team will make the final four i have gonzaga beating illinois 85 78 i I do see scoring in that game um a couple more pieces of news to wrap up the podcast richard patino is out at minnesota uh, Boston College is going to hire Charleston coach Earl Grant. Um, big surprise that they have passed over Mark Schmidt yet again. Great news uh, for the Bonnies fans out there. And, and you wonder what Schmidt's next move might have might be. You you wonder if Schmidt might have said no behind the scenes, uh, a quiet no to his alma mater to spare them. Uh, you know potentially what, what could have been an embarrassment uh, if they had been turned down publicly. Um, We'll get into that a little bit more on the next edition of the podcast. Uh, Folks, enjoy the games. Enjoy the brackets. It's great to have them back after a one-year absence. Uh, You know, I want to thank my two co-conspirators for coming in for three-man weave, and uh, hopefully we can do this again a little deeper in the tournament. Thank you all very much.